If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as senior pastor as well as one of our elders here. And we are thrilled that you chose to come and worship with us. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I would love that opportunity to do so. And uh, one big way that you can help me out with that is after the service is over with, I'll be out in the foyer. You can swing by and say howdy, introduce yourself to me. And then also another way that you should have heard a moment ago on the video is by filling out this connection card. And whenever you do that, then uh, that allows me to kind of get to know you a little bit better as well, get you some information uh, about the church. I wanted to let you know about a couple of things real quick. Uh, reminder that next Sunday, if you're a church member, next Sunday we have a very important uh, vote that will be happening after the service as we uh, consider the recommendation that the elders brought to dissolve the position of equipping pastor. If you still have questions and concerns about that, uh, we are having a quick informational meeting after the service, about five or ten minutes after the service. It'll be um, in the children's worship room, which is back that direction. If you are looking to be a part of that, we can point you in the right direction. And then also, as a, m a matter of clarification, uh, the uh, coat and blanket drive that we're doing is actually a part of Twin City Mission. Uh, we love SOS. We love Twin City Mission. That drive just happens to be with uh, Twin City Mission. All right. Um, if you uh, don't have your Bible out, I encourage you to go ahead and open that up. Uh, we are going to be looking at John chapter 15. When you came in this morning, hopefully you picked up a worship guide. On the back of the worship guide is a place with the sermon notes, and you can jot down things as we move through the text this morning. You can see that we're looking at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Throughout history, people have tried to make Christianity all about the rules. Like, to be a Christian, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to fit this criteria, I've got to follow the rules, I've got to do the right things. Now, hear me say, the commandments of God are good, and they are to be followed, and he gives them to us because he loves us. But that's not the crux of what Christianity is about, about obeying the rules. However, some think that, and as a result of that, some people have run completely away from God's commandments and don't want to follow any of his commandments, and it just seems like culture is getting worse by the moment about not following God's commandments. So this morning, the text that we're looking at, we see that in John 15, Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, Jesus says that we actually bring glory to God when we keep his commandments. And so the commandments are not to be followed because there's a checklist and I have to follow all the rules. Rather, I'm to obey the commandments because I love God. And when I obey the commandments, they bring glory to God. So this series that we're looking at about the church is the idea that there should be glory to God through his church. And so as a church family, my prayer is that we would be made up of individuals who are seeking to glorify God. And one of the ways we bring glory to God is by abiding in him and obeying his commandments. So, to kind of set up where we're going in John 15, if you were to flip back a couple of chapters in John 13, you would see that this is the evening that Jesus would end up being arrested and then crucified the next morning. And so in John chapter 13, he brings his disciples together. They have the Lord's Supper together as a, a Passover, which uh, turns into the Lord's Supper. They have that together that evening. And as he's meeting with them, he begins to prepare them for his crucifixion. 
He prepares them for his burial, for his resurrection, and ultimately his departure. Because he knows in just about uh, 50 days, 40 days, he's going to be going uh, to heaven and life would be a little bit different for them. And he acknowledges and knows that this must be unsettling for them. That this guy they spent the last three years together intimately is now saying he's about to go and die and then ultimately uh, ascend into heaven. And it must have been unsettling for them. So he took a couple of chapters in the book of John to begin to kind of settle them down a bit and to reassure them and to encourage them. The way he does that is he promises to send the Holy Spirit. Yes, I'm leaving, but I'm about to send you the Holy Spirit, the guide, the teacher, the comforter, the one who will be with you and lead you into all truth. And then he reminds them that he would come back and bring them unto himself. You remember how he said, if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come and bring you back unto myself. And then ultimately, when we move to John chapter 15, he says, guys, I'm not deserting you. You can still be just as connected to me after I depart as you currently are connected to me now. And so this text was spoken directly to his disciples on that evening. However, this text is intended for all of his disciples as well. So let's look at it together. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Another word for that would be a gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you do abide in me and my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And the Father has loved me, so, sorry, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus begins this text by saying, I am the vine. In the book of John, there are seven times that John records Jesus saying, I am. They're called the I am statements. Each of the seven Jesus tells us who he is, and he uses a metaphor to describe it. In this scenario, he uses the metaphor of saying that he is a vine. The grapevine, the, the vineyard, was used all throughout the Old Testament as a national symbol for the Jewish people. And so often you'll see the word vine in the Old Testament, and it's referring to Israel. And here's Jesus picking up this theme, and he's saying, no, I am the true vine. I wanted to read to you a portion of the Old Testament that refers to Israel being the vine. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. 
verses 1 and 2 says this. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. That's the nation of Israel that's being made into a vineyard for the Lord, for his glory, for his sake, and to bear fruit. And it says, but it yielded wild grapes. So here's Jesus in John chapter 15, and he says, I am the true vine. You talk about kind of a conversation stopper. Jesus steps into the room, and he says, guys, you thought Israel was the vine, and that the reality is I am the true vine. And where Israel had failed and not been fruitful, I am providing a way for fruit to be developed and to grow. Because Israel, it says, had yielded wild grapes. Then you continue in in Isaiah chapter 5 in verse 3. And it says, and now, O uh, verse 3, yeah, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. So in this passage, in Isaiah, we see that God is going to trample down his vineyard because it was not growing fruit like it was supposed to. Whenever we flip back to John chapter 15, in the metaphor that Jesus uses, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and the Father is the, 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 the vine dresser, the, the gardener. And what he's saying is this. The vines are, to, the, the branches are to, to, um, to stay connected to the vine in order that they would produce great fruit. And so in this metaphor, we think about the idea of what a vine, bran- uh, sorry, a vine root is to do. A vine root is to bring the nourishment up to the branches so that the branches can continue to grow. And the only way the branches can grow is if they stay connected to the vine. You remove the branches from the vine and they no longer have life in them. And what Jesus is saying is, in this moment, you're not being disconnected from me. Rather, I am still the vine. I am still bringing the energy and nourishment and supplements that you need. You just need to stay connected to me. And so on your sermon notes, you're going to see three main things I want us to see. The first one is this, that God is glorified when we bear much fruit. It says so much in verse 8. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. All too often, we have a tendency to start with ourselves. And what I mean by that is we, we think, okay, in whatever scenario we find ourselves in, as it relates to God, we say, what do I have to do? What do I get in the process? And what Jesus says here is the starting point is not... Do I or do I not obey the commandments? The starting point is that the Father should be glorified, and because the Father should be glorified, then we should bear much fruit. 
Why are we to bear fruit? For the glory of God. Our fruit magnifies him. We're going to talk in just a minute about what the fruit is, but I want us to note the fact that bearing much fruit is a very common theme in this text. In fact, it's mentioned in four verses, verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 8. And actually in verse 2, it's mentioned three times. So over and over and over and over again, Jesus is saying that a branch should bear much fruit. So what is this fruit that we're to bear? What is this fruit that we're to produce which brings glory to God? And and I'm going to read one more verse out of Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7. It says, for the vineyard the Lord of hosts, sorry, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and are his pleasant planting. And here's what he looked for, the fruit that he looked for. And he looked for justice, but behold, there was bloodshed. And he looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, the fruit that God was looking for was justice and righteousness. And what we see here is that the fruit is an inward kind of fruit. The character traits of God that are put within us. And so in John chapter 15, when we see that the Father is glorified when we bear much fruit, what kind of fruit is he talking about? He's talking about the inner qualities of Christ that are within us. The idea is that a vine grows into the branch and the branch puts its life, sorry, the vine puts its life into the branch so that the branch reproduces what's already in the vine. Likewise, when we are connected to God, then what we are to produce is fruit that is consistent with who Christ is. That the life of Christ is to flow in and through us because we are connected to him. And so the fruit that we are to bear is Christ-likeness. We glorify God when we bear much fruit. We glorify God when we are shining for Christ. My question is, is our life reflective, reflective of who Christ is? Another way to look at this is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. I mean, I should say 22 and 23. Perhaps you're familiar with this. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those are the fruit of the Spirit. So whenever Jesus says that whenever we bear much fruit, we glorify the Father, then a big part of that fruit is the inner qualities of Christ that is placed within us by the work of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. Whenever we consider the Christ-like character traits that we are to exhibit, the reality is this. In so many ways, it'd be easier if Jesus said that the fruit we are to produce are the outward fruits, not the inner fruits. What I mean by this, what if Jesus had just simply said, here's what I need you to do. I I need you to serve in the church. I need you to give money to the church. I need you to teach a class. I need you to lead a prayer. I need you to preach a sermon. Those are the outward fruit, and wouldn't that be so much easier because we can quantify it, we can label it, we can say, look, this is what I'm doing, but the reality is the real hard work, the most important work is the work that Christ does within us, making us more and more like him. And then what happens whenever the fruit of the Spirit is within us, those other things, the outward fruit comes naturally because it begins with what's inside of a man or a woman that begins to exhibit itself outwardly. You see, the truth of the matter is this. It is possible 
to exhibit some of what we would call outward fruit without having any inward life of Christ within us. We're to begin with that inward fruit, his life within us that begins to bubble up to the surface. I want you to look at verses 2 and 6. In verses 2 and 6, it says that any branch that does not bear fruit is removed, gathered, it withers away, is thrown into the fire, and is burned. My question for each of us is this. Is the fruit of Christ within us? Are we bearing the fruit of Christ's likeness? And if you are not, then I encourage you to re-examine your salvation. And what I mean by that is a person who is genuinely saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done on our behalf, then the Holy Spirit is at work within us and begins to produce this fruit automatically as we begin to follow him. And the reality is this, if we have no inner fruit, then the question is, did we really genuinely trust in Jesus for salvation in the first place? What I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying we can gain salvation, lose it, gain, lose, gain, lose. What I'm saying is this, that the consistency of our life should be pointing towards more and more like Christ. And if it's not, then perhaps we are like the branch that's bearing no fruit, that is gathered together and is burned. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to have salvation? If we're not careful, we think that salvation is simply me being removed from the difficult circumstance in which I find myself. Salvation is so much more than that. Salvation is acknowledging that I need Jesus in order to be made right with the Father and have a relationship with him. You see, God created all of us to be in right standing with him, but sin gets in the way every single time. All of us are sinners, and our sin separates us from a holy, perfect God. But the good news is this, that he sent his son who did follow him all of the time, who did not sin, who doesn't deserve death, and yet Jesus died on the cross for our sin as our substitute. And if we would place our faith and our trust in him for salvation, we can be saved. I really like how Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 talks about salvation. And so I want us to look at that together. Um, Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says this, For by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. It's what Christ has done on your behalf. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't do it. We must receive it freely from him. It's for by grace you have been saved through faith, trusting in him for salvation. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. That it's not the result of anything that we do, not a result of our works, lest anyone should boast. And yet, because of our salvation, there is a, a result of that, and there is fruit, and there is work, not to gain salvation, but because of salvation. And so chapter, uh, verse 10 says it this way, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what I'm asking you this morning is, is the fruit of Christ-likeness in you? And if not, then reevaluate your salvation. Perhaps you never really trusted in Jesus for salvation. 
And if you are a follower of Jesus, then we should have fruit and work that begins to display itself. I was reading a commentary this week, and it began to describe verse 2. Look at John chapter 15, verse 2. It says that branches that do bear fruit, God prunes them. He cuts them back in order that they might grow even more fruit. And the illustration that the commentator used was from one of C.S. Lewis's books. I don't know if you've read Chronicles of Narnia or not, if you've watched some of the movies that are out, but there's a kid in one of the movies that just, uh, one of the books that just gets on my nerves. His name is Eustace. Do you know Eustace? Eustace Scrub? He's in the, the book, The Voyage of Don Treader. And he's annoying to everyone. And as a result of that, this kid gets turned into a dragon. Do you remember that scene? Like, he's, in a, he's a dragon, he doesn't like it, and he wants to go back to being the little boy that he was. And in order for him to go back to who he was, he needed a little pruning himself. And so Aslan, who is a lion, who is the Christ figure in the story, comes to Eustace and removes the shell of that dragon from him. And so here is what it says. This is what the lion said. Eustace says, this is what the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke. You will have to let me undress you. Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. And what the commentator said was that's a good picture of what pruning does. Pruning can't be comfortable. Have you ever pruned a tree? Like if you were a tree, would you want to be pruned? Like if I'm pruning back my crepe myrtle, I, I want to uh, become a crepe murderer because I chop, chop it too tightly, right? But the reality is this, whenever God prunes us, he knows that a vine can only produce fruit if the branches are kind of trimmed back so that all that's really left is the vine and the vine will grow up in through the branch. And so it's a painful process, but the reality is this, that pruning is critical. That every time we are pruned, then more of Christ is displayed in our lives. So my encouragement to you is this, don't resist the pruning of the Father he will prune you so that you can produce more fruit. It's in the pruning that the Christ-likeness uh, begins to, to, to resonate in and through us. So here's the second thing on your notes. We must abide in Christ to bear fruit. So if God is glorified when we bear fruit, how do we bear fruit? The way we bear fruit is we abide in Christ. What does the word abide mean? Look at verse 4. And it's all over, like abide is all throughout this text countless times. In verse 4 it says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide, abide, abide. What does that word mean? Depending on your translation, it could have the word remain or live or dwell. It's the idea that we are to stay connected to Christ. A branch cannot grow in health without being connected to the vine. Likewise, we cannot grow in Christ unless we stay connected to him. Why does a branch need to stay 
connected to the vine so that the sap that is in the vine can go up through the branches and that sap brings the energy, the nutrients, and everything that it needs to live, produce leaves, and to produce fruit. I believe that this idea of the, the branch staying connected to the vine so that the sap can go up in it is very similar or suggestive of how the Holy Spirit is to be in our lives. Whenever I stay connected or abide in Christ, then the Holy Spirit of Christ is, is put within me and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that I'm able to follow him and obey him. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit a moment ago from Galatians chapter 5. The only way I can produce that fruit is if I'm connected to the vine. The only way I can produce that fruit is if the Holy Spirit is at work within me. We have to remember, according to verse 5, that apart from him, we can do nothing. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You're like, wait a minute, I can do lots of things if I'm not connected to Christ. Well, yeah, technically we can, right? Like you can literally raise a family. You can literally earn a living. You could literally show kindness to people. You could literally be a pastor. You could literally make decisions as a church family. But if we're doing it in our own power, and our own strength, it won't produce fruit. So the only way that we can glorify the Father is if we bear fruit. The only way we bear fruit is if we abide in Christ. And so therefore, if I'm not abiding in Christ, if you're not abiding in Christ, then we can't bring glory to the Father and we cannot, we cannot produce fruit. Because we can't produce fruit on our own. It's only the vine that produces the fruit in us. We must stay connected. I was reading another commentary this week by a pastor by the name of R. Kent Hughes, and here's what he talked about. He used an analogy or an illustration. I don't know if y'all realize this. I think we're like only 11 weeks away from Christmas, so maybe it'll resonate with you. Maybe it won't. But you could take a Christmas tree. I don't care if it was once alive or not, if it's a fake tree especially. Like, is there fruit on a Christmas tree? Absolutely not. The only way there's fruit on a Christmas tree is if you take a, a tie or a hanger and you tie it and fasten it to a tree but that doesn't make it a fruit that comes from that tree it just is ornamented beautifully but it's not really alive if we're not careful we can try to be like that Christmas tree and we tie this nice neat fruit on the exterior but the reality is what does Jesus say we're dead on the inside We've got to be careful and allow the Holy Spirit to work within our lives as we abide in him so that real fruit of God's character can come in through the vine into our very lives. Reminds me of Peter. Do you remember when Peter was in the boat with the disciples and Jesus is walking out on the water and he appears and they're kind of freaking out in a moment and, and then he invites Peter to come on to the sea and Peter steps out onto the sea and what does Peter do? He walks on water, right? But as soon as he sees the surroundings around him, as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he sinks, right? You and I, if we're not careful, if we don't stay connected to the Father, if we don't stay connected to the vine, then we are like Peter and we begin to sink and fail miserably. So I encourage us, be willing to be pruned. 
choose to abide, get into God's word. That's the way we abide in him. Spend time in prayer. Associate with others who are abiding in Christ. If you don't have people around you that are abiding in Christ, then you're going to probably fail at it. But if you are a part of a hope group, a discipleship group, an equipping class, the serving opportunities, if you've got friends in, in, in church that you can spend time together with, then you're abiding in Christ, they're abiding in Christ, and we can do this together. I read a quote from a pastor by the name of uh, Derwin Gray, and here's what he says. Being born again happens in an instant. Learning to live as a child of God takes a lifetime. And what that means is that salvation or justification or conversion happens once, right? But there's a process of sanctification where we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And the only way that you and I can become more and more like Jesus is if we are abiding in Christ. We must abide in Christ in order to bear fruit. And then the last thing that I want us to see is this, that the joy of Christ is in those who abide in him. So the way we glorify God is by bearing fruit. The way we bear fruit is by abiding. And the good news is that when we abide in Christ, not only are we glorifying the Father, not only are we bearing fruit, not only is the spirit of uh, the, the, the character traits of Christ coming up within us, but ultimately that brings us great joy. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want us to look real quickly at some of the reasons and causes of that joy. Why is it that we can be joyful whenever we're abiding in Christ? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says that we have an empowered prayer life whenever we abide in Christ. That's the first reason for joy. Whenever we're abiding in Christ, we can have an empowered prayer life. Verse 7 says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The reason is, is because of the beginning of verse 7. If we're abiding in him, then his words abide in us. And therefore, when we pray, we're abiding, I mean, we're praying according to his word. Whenever we pray, if we're abiding in him and his words are abiding in us, then we aren't just praying selfish prayers. We are praying prayers that are according to the will of the Father. And therefore, we can have an empowered prayer life. The principle is this, as we pray, we abide in Christ. As we abide in Christ, we pray. It's a cycle effect. It's like which came first, the chicken or the egg? The reality is if I want to abide in Christ, I need to pray. And the reward of praying is that I am abiding in Christ. All too often, we are overlooking the joy that's found in Christ in an empowered prayer life. And I want to encourage us as individuals and as a church body that we would see the power of prayer when we abide in Christ, which brings great joy. The second cause of great joy is this. It's found in verse 8. The Father is glorified. We've already talked about this. But the reality is this, that when the Father is glorified, that should bring us joy, right? Like, that is our life's aim, or it should be, to bring glory to God. The reason we tell others about Jesus is so that, not so that they can be saved, although that is true, we tell others about Jesus so that they can see that the Father is worthy of our glory and our praise. The reason we exist is to glorify the Father, and whenever we glorify the Father, that brings great joy. So, we're, we have great joy because of an empowered prayer life. We have great joy whenever the Father is glorified. And then the last thing that's listed here in these verses is that love fills our life. 
Whenever we abide in Christ, then love fills our life. And whenever love fills our life, we can have great joy. Look at verses 9 and 10, and then I'll mention verse 12 as well. In verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, so abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So whenever, there is, uh, whenever we're abiding in Christ, then we have a life filled with love, and when we have a life filled with love, then we're loving and serving and obeying the Father. We are obeying him. He loves us. We can abide in his love, and as a result of that, love for him and from him leads us to obedience. And then we're not taking the time to preach the rest of the verses, but in verse 12, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. What a great joy it is to be able to experience love for and from another person. So the reality is this, that life can be filled with joy whenever we abide in Christ. But all too often, we act as if abiding in Christ or obedience to Christ is some sort of drudgery. Like here's our attitude sometimes, oh it's just my duty, it's my obligation, I have to do these things. All it is is a bunch of rules, it's no fun, it's not relevant, it's difficult, but the reality is this, that whenever we abide in Christ, he empowers us to obey him, to glorify him, to abide in his love and experience his goodness to us. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So my challenge to all of us this morning is this. May we glorify the Father by bearing fruit. May we bear fruit by abiding in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, may we experience the joy of it all. See, everything that the Father does, everything that the Son does, everything that the Holy Spirit does is designed to enhance our ability to abide in Him and to produce fruit. I've got five questions for you to ask yourself today. You might want to jot them down, and then we'll have a time of response. The first one is this. Are you glorifying God with your life? In other words, are you living in a Christ-like fashion? Are you glorifying God with your life? Please don't just answer yes, no, like process it, figure it out, seek the Lord's guidance on what you should do based on your answer. The second question is this. Are you producing fruit? And if you aren't, would you do the real hard work of examining your salvation and ask the Lord to really reveal to you if you ever genuinely trusted in him for salvation? The third question is this. In what ways do you need to be pruned? In order for us to live a Christ-like life, we have to be pruned. And being pruned is painful. But my question is, in what ways do you need to be pruned? And then my challenge to us along those lines is stop resisting the pruning. The fourth question is this. Are you abiding in Christ? And maybe consider the steps that God is asking you to take that would allow you, empower you to truly abide in Christ. And then the last one is this. Are you experiencing the full joy of Christ? If you're not experiencing the full joy of Christ, then that's an indicator that perhaps you're not really abiding as he would like you to. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And after the prayer, we'll have a time to respond. And I would ask you that um, 
if you have things you need to do, please try to stay in the room so we can stay together and stay focused on what God is doing. And There'll be time for us to dismiss and do other things in a moment, but let's take a moment to really hear from the Lord. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and after that prayer is over with, some uh, guys are going to be prepared to pass some offering plates, and as they do that, you can drop uh, any offering you came with or a connection card or anything like that. But all the more importantly, we'll respond by singing and by praying. And if you need to come and pray with me, I'll be available at the front. If you need to come and pray at the altar, you can do that as well. But let us spend a few moments asking the Lord how it is that we are to glorify him by bearing fruit and abiding in him in his joy. Let me pray for us.